Coming to you from St. George, Utah, this is 70 is the New 50, a fun look at the joyous side of aging. And now your host for 70 is the New 50, Jan Graham Hunt. Well, hello and welcome to 70 is the New 50. I'm your host, Jan Graham Hunt. Well, friends, we have Putin and we have COVID, but the good news in 2022 is that we are getting younger and better at living fully engaged lives as we age. My goal here is to shine light on some inspiring examples. We are recording today in the podcast room run by Sean Denovan on the beautiful Dixie State University campus, soon to be Utah Tech University in gorgeous St. George, Utah. We know St. George as the cultural epicenter of the West. As always, a quick note about me. I'm a retired lawyer from Salt Lake City. My husband and I moved to St. George eight years ago, and it was a fantastic life change. We all know St. George is a mecca for hiking and biking, and yes, pickleball. But we also discovered the exciting opportunities for learning and personal growth, in particular through ICL, the Institute for Continued Learning here at the university, and especially for us youngsters over 60. This podcast was inspired by my son, Will, who works in entertainment in Los Angeles and is, among other things, a podcast creator and host. He showed me the world of podcasts and helped me create this one. The foundational ethic of this podcast is that aging is not a negative as Betty Friedan famously said, aging is not lost youth, but a new stage of opportunity and strength. We're proud of our age and more importantly, what we are doing at our age. I'm thrilled to be 72 and counting. You know, I am so happy to have my guest today, a young man of 71 who could truly be mistaken for 450 simply judging by his activity level. Doug Bowen has been a leader for ICL in many roles. He currently is serving as vice president and has taught many wonderful classes over the years, including one of the most popular about Mark Twain. We're going to talk about all of it. Welcome, Doug Bowen. Thank you. <laughs> Doug, will you take a moment and just tell us about yourself, your, your personal history, your family, your career, and how you got to St. George. I know about it. I don't know that we're going to be able to cover all of it, but I think it best comes from you. Well, uh, my roots are from the West. Both my parents come from Idaho. Uh, I was born in Rexburg, Idaho, uh, but I have a hard time telling where I <laughs> am actually from because my folks moved around a lot when I was young. I've lived in New Mexico, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, the Philippine Islands, uh, California, Idaho, Oregon, Utah, and Germany. My goodness. Before coming to St. George. And what prompted all those moves? My father was a linguist with UCLA, oh. and he uh, had a pretty good reputation in his field, and he was his uh, services were desired by a lot of people. Uh, what we did in the Philippines was he was director of a language center over there that, whose job was to fix the... Uh, educational system, which had pretty much been destroyed in World War II. I see. Amazing. And he was a linguist, and in fact, 
you did you major in German or German related literature? I'm trying to. I, I majored in German literature. Okay, and that was where? At Brigham Young University. I see. And then after that, you lived in Germany. Yes, uh, quite a few years after that. Um, as soon as I got, after I got married, uh, my wife and I went on a honeymoon for five years in Germany, and our first <laughs> first two children were born there. And what were you doing there? I was working with a youth agency, um, the uh, directorate, let's see, let me see if I can do the DYA uh, Division of Youth Activities for the, German, for the American military over there. We were stationed in Wiesbaden, but I had... Um, responsibility for programs in Belgium, Holland, Luxembourg, France, and a big chunk of Germany. Oh wow! And and were you were you, did that involve travel to those areas when you were based in Wiesbaden? A lot of travel. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> and we really enjoyed it. I, I drove all over Europe. Oh, fantastic! And your kids were they old enough to appreciate it or remember that? No, they too were bad. Not. They right. were too young. Uh, my oldest was about three when we moved back to the U.S., but a few years later when he was in high school, we took him back over and spent uh, a week to 10 days traveling right. through our old haunting grounds. So he, he was able to see it then. And when you returned from Germany, then what? Uh, returned from Germany to uh, Buena Park, California, where I was a youth agency executive, and I worked down there a couple of years, then moved to uh, Los Angeles for a year, and then I retired and moved to St. George. And I was looking at your bio, your resume, about the years there and your, your age of retirement. I'm not sure I've got the math right, but I think you were pretty young. Am I right? I, uh, stopped, <laughs> I stopped working when I was 40. Well, that, that is fantastic. How did you pull that off? Um, some investments worked out well. And you had the good sense to have that perhaps as a goal, to have more freedom? I did. Uh, I also had no debt. And I had uh, done quite well in the real estate market with a couple of homes. And so we were able to build a home without a mortgage here in St. George. And so it's not so much that I'm wealthy. It's just that I don't need a lot to live off of. Well, I love hearing that. And I think it's such a model for other people. I kind of come from the, you know, work 70 hours a week for as long as you can model, and I don't recommend it. And I just love to hear about people who really saw the opportunity to maybe free themselves of, of work, and maybe not, maybe I should put, put it this way, work that they didn't want to do, and go find work that they did want to do. I was also working about 70 hours a week, and it was a real drag. Yeah. Um, it's not much fun when you're trying to raise kids. Not much fun for the wife who's stuck home with them all day right. long. And, and so you as the father missing out on so much. Missing out a great deal. And uh, once we moved to St. George, our youngest was just starting first grade. And so I was able to be there with them uh, for all the kids throughout their school years. Well, that's a fantastic thing to hold on to and for you and for them to have you there. So many of us had fathers that we rarely saw as we were growing up. That's changing with the generations, which I think is wonderful, but you were able to pull that off. Well, um, Doug, I'd like to talk to you about your work at ICL, and I'm going to quickly summarize because it's a, it's a vast description. Um, you are currently uh, vice president of the ICL Council, and I see from your bio that you have done the following. 
at ICL. You have taught German for two years, co-taught a computer class for seven years, taught Mark Twain for six years, taught poetry for four years, and taught history classes for the past three years. Now, that's utterly amazing, and we're not going to be able to do all of that justice here, but uh, let's, let's do this. Let's start with Mark Twain, because it's a fascinating expertise that you have, and I'd love to hear about your journey with Mark Twain. Well, I've been in love with Mark Twain since I was in <laughs> high school. Uh, my father taught at UCLA, as I said, and he one day brought home a book, Letters from the Earth, that had just been published. And it included writings of Mark Twain that his daughter had not allowed to be published until over 50 years after his death. And why was that? They were very controversial. Uh, they're about politics and sex and war. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and for that time, these were things we didn't want to discuss honestly. In the open, we didn't. Now, Mark Twain had some friends that he discussed things, these things with all the time. But those of us who grew up just knowing Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer right. never saw that side of Mark Twain. Right. That's very true. I want to talk a little bit more about Mark Twain's uh, political targets, social targets. He was a, a very uh, adept uh, person to point uh, say point the finger or shine the light on evil, but do it in a really sort of humanistic and eye-opening way. And I, I want to talk to you about that. The, the one thing I want to ask you about what, all we, what we do know about, most of us know about Mark Twain is about Huckleberry Finn and of course Tom Sawyer. And maybe we know a couple of other books, but he excelled in many genres, didn't he? Uh, probably more than any other author I've ever heard of. Right. Poetry? Essays. He he wrote as much poetry as Shakespeare did. It Incredible. wasn't very good, but it was better than most. Right. Uh, he was really good at essays. He was really good at sketches. He was considered by um, Hemingway to be the number one American novelist. Uh, well, and, and for really, Huckleberry Finn. Now you read about Huckleberry Finn, and I, I guess it's called the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. You read about it, and it's the quintessential. Um, American novel, the first true American novel, and fascinating, no prizes. There are no Pulitzers, no Nobel Prizes for Mark Twain for either of those books. And what, what's that about? Well, I'm not sure there was a Pulitzer Prize back. Well, that may be. In, in his time. Um, what there was, was people who bought books, and he has sold a lot of them, and most of his books are still in print to this day, and there are very few authors. You could say that after 100 years after they've died, their books are still in print. Right, that is incredible. Um, talk about, I, I, I want to say that I, I watched the presentation that you have made, it's a PowerPoint presentation on video about Mark Twain's life and his accomplishments, it's online. It's fascinating. It's wonderful. Um, for those of you listening, you can find it simply by Googling Doug Bowen, St. George, Utah. I think it comes right up and it's just so worthwhile. I was shocked watching it about the, uh, some of the targets of his commentary and the effect, including, of course, Tsar Nicholas, but also King Leopold and uh, his uh, rule of the Belgian Congo and the inhumanity, unspeakable inhumanity. Talk about that. Well, King Leopold had a personal ownership of the Congo, 
as far as I know, is the only world leader who's ever done that. And we always called it the Belgian Congo until the change. He used it for personal profit and millions of people died. Um, The natives there were forced to work on rubber plantations or in mines, all the profit going to Leopold personally. Mm. Until some muckrakers, um, including Mark Twain, started to shine a light on what was going on there. And it ended up um, forcing the Belgian government to tell King Leopold he could no longer do what he was doing. But that was after millions of people had died to make right. him wealthy. So, so much incredible brutality and punishment on, on people who were forced to work and punishments on their children. It's really a, a riveting yeah, if they couldn't Upsetting. catch the uh, the parents, they would take their kids and cut their arms and legs off. Just to teach them a lesson and serve as an example. Yeah. yeah. Um, really, really brutal. Um, what about Tsar Nicholas? What, is, what, what, what about the effect of Mark Twain on him and all of his misdeeds? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that the Tsar ever found out that uh, Twain had targeted him, mm. but... Um, The communists did, apparently. Uh, In fact, the communist government in the Soviet Union was um, very favorable to Mark Twain. And the reason was because Mark Twain would point out the foibles and errors that he saw in his society. Now, of course, if you were Russian, you weren't allowed to do that to yours. But if you were taught that the U.S. society was evil, and then you found someone like Mark Twain who would point out that it... uh, it was made him very popular over there. I suspect that he, had he been Russian and said the same things about the government there, which I'm sure he would have, he would have ended up in the gulag. In fact, he uh, was so outspoken about the Philippine-American War that General Funston, who was over there helping run that war, when he came back to the U.S., suggested publicly that Mark Twain be executed. Oh my, I did not know that. So many incredible stories around him and world history during his time. Uh, So much of it I did not know. Um, Some of of the people listening here today may be watching the wonderful series called The Gilded Age that's currently on HBO. It's a Julian Fellows production. He's the one that created Downton Abbey and it's honestly fantastic and so much about that era. The name was coined, I learned, by Mark Twain in a book, right? And it was. Uh, it was not a compliment, was it? <laughs> it was not. Gilded <laughs> means covered on the surface with gold, but inside it's rotten. Right, and that was the whole point of what he was pointing out about American society, that period roughly 1870 to 1900, which was really defined by greed and hypocrisy of those in power. Right. Really, really fascinating. I know that um, there's so much more that we, we could say about him, but I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the other classes that you have taught. And uh, you've taught poetry and history classes. And tell us about what they were and the general subjects. Well, uh, poetry, general subject was just whatever poetry we could find that we thought the class would like. So you didn't have a particular genre or era that you were focusing no. on? No, we uh, we skipped around to all sorts of things, from humor to war to love poetry. Um, I was assisted in that by a most lovely lady. Her name was Renee Hazen. She was a retired advanced placement English teacher from Pineview High School. 
and she was to me the heart of the class and unfortunately she died this february oh we had been taking a break from poetry for a semester or two and thinking maybe going back to it right uh, she's now gone and will be very very missed well um is the will you be teaching the poetry class in the future? Do you think? I don't know. Uh, I love poetry, but apparently I'm in a minority, and we never were able to get more than ten or twelve people signed up for a poetry class. Um, if it became more popular, I might, I might rethink it. I know up at the University of Utah where they have an ICL type program, they have three or four poetry classes and they seem to be able to fill them, but for some reason down here. That does surprise not. me. Um, I I guess, and I, I, I don't know much about it myself, but I, I think that, um, was it Bob Dylan that just won the, the Nobel Prize for poetry for his music? Something like that. Maybe we need to bring in some rock and roll stars to, it, it's really lyrics to songs or poetry and so many of them are so much a vital part of our history and our culture so it's interesting that maybe we call it poetry but that makes an eyebrow go up and it really shouldn't no um john charty who is one of my uh, favorite uh poets he was actually a critic uh once said that the brightest students for poetry are a class of third graders and he said one of the worst uh groups for poetry is a class of 12th graders. The educational system has done something to drive that love out of their system. Oh dear, that's a, that's a terrible fact. Um, well, we need to change that, Doug Bowen. <laughs> uh, what about your history classes? What, what eras or what history have you taught through ICL? The history I teach is based on the writings of one writer, and that is Barbara Tuckman who I had never, of course. Mm-hmm. never heard of her when I moved to Germany in 1982. And one of my colleagues over there suggested that I read the book, A Distant Mirror, which was about Europe in the 14th century. Uh, mm. It covered the plague and the crusades and the Hundred Years War. And he said, you'll never really understand Europe as you should until you read this book. And I read it and uh, just fascinated by the scholarship and skill that Miss Tuckman had. And I've subsequently read all of her other books, and each of my courses is based on one or more of her books. Um, I've done a course on World War One, which is I'm, that March of Folly? Is that her book? March of Folly covers several wars. Um, okay. It, cover, it has a chapter on the Vietnam War, which I will be doing next semester. It has a chapter. That would be this coming fall semester. Yeah, in the fall. Oh, fantastic. Uh, It has a chapter on the British losing America, which is the Revolutionary War, and that's another one I've done. Uh, She did the first salute, which talks about the first European country to recognize the 13 colonies as independent. And that turns out it was Holland, which uh, very few Americans know. No, indeed. And Holland paid dearly for that. Uh, Great Britain saw to it. Um, I'm currently researching and putting together a presentation on Stillwell and the American Experience in China. Uh, That's a massive book, and I've gotten through about a third of it, so I'm not sure if I'll have that ready for next year or not. But But you you might end up teaching a class on that. I I will teach a class, and it's a China-Burma-India theater in World War II. 
Fantastic. And it explains, if you read that, it'll explain a lot of what our relationship with China is today and why and how it got there. So important. Well, that's a, that's a very important class. I look forward to that. Um, and we have uh, uh, just a, uh, maybe a minute to talk about something that you do that I think is so wonderful, and that is uh, you got inspired to start taking ICL members out on these wonderful field trips. And remind me, I think you started in 2018, and was it you took a Rick Miller Geologic Wonderland class or something like that, and you got inspired to take folks out and actually see what he was talking about? Well, I took Rick Miller's classes for a number of years before 2018, and finally it occurred to me that I ought, he is so much fun and so funny that if he could be a guide, it would make a, a field trip just outstanding. He was and my very first guest on this it, podcast, by the way. I, I listened to that, <laughs> and uh, he, he's one of my favorite people. Yeah. And so I asked him if he would be our guide and take us to Zion and Bryce, and he said, Unfortunately, I have all these animals I have to take care of at home, and I can't be away for very long. But why don't you go talk to Janice Hayden, who is a geologist working here at the university? I did. She agreed. And she was just wonderful. And the uh, people that went on that trip loved it. Apparently, there was a need for something like that because we filled the bus in 24 hours filled the registrations that and that's the big these are the big buses that also road scholar trips go out on is that right, right. That the university got, has they've got 48 seats that's incredible and so the next year janice went with us again to the grand canyon page lake powell pipe springs national monument and it was every bit as much fun as the last one was in 2020 we went to valley of fire and down near las vegas and red rock canyon uh this January, we went to Death Valley. And I read, all, I read all about that trip. So this is just such a gift for ICL. And will there, hopefully there will be more Doug Bowen trips coming up. In 2023, we're going to Mesa Verde and Canyon de Chez and uh, Aztec Ruins. Fantastic. Well, we're, we're putting that on our calendars, <laughs> people. Uh, well, we have just a, a couple of minutes left here. Uh, Doug, and I, I, I knew this was going to happen. We're not going to have time to hit everything, but this podcast is about how we stay engaged and motivated to feel fully alive as we age. And as always with my guests, I want to ask you how you continue to do that. And, and it, your, your uh, life is amazing and diverse and exciting. And how do you do that? Well, one thing I do is I read a lot and I read in a lot of different fields, biography, history, science, politics, humor, novels. Um, I also try and volunteer quite a bit. This uh, last week, I was a volunteer judge for the Sterling Scholars and in world languages and just had a great time helping oh. with that. I've been a volunteer firefighter for the last 30 plus years. Um, and I guess my major emphasis is with ICL. Uh, I just love teaching these classes. I love preparing them. I love uh, interacting with the students in the classes. And uh, it, it gives me a reason to get up in the morning. Well, it's wonderful, very inspiring. And I know this from experience that you, you really first learn something um, in the most complete way when you teach it. 
Absolutely. I learned that as a, an attorney teaching at the law school. The things that I learned while I was in law school, I thought I had it. But when I had to teach it to some to another class of law students when I was older, that's when I really got it. Have you had the same experience? Uh, very much so. I'm more familiar with Mark Twain now after teaching than I ever was before. Sure, sure. Well, um, Doug, it's just been delightful to talk to you. I, I, we will have another session with you, I feel certain, in the future. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that you've been the assistant fire warden and you've been a volunteer, volunteer fireman here in St. George for 30 years. I also know you've volunteered for the St. George Marathon for 10 years. And, you know, Doug, we're, we're finished now, and I want you to go home and sit on the couch and watch television for a few minutes. Will you do that for us? <laughs> I'll be, I'll play with my grandkids. Uh, well, I want to thank uh, my wonderful guest, Doug Bowen, for being here, but more importantly, for all that he has done and is doing for our community. Each episode, I like to end with something inspirational about aging. And today, in honor of our guest, I'm going to use a magically simple quote from Mark Twain. Life is best after 70. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. Thank you to my guest and to all of you for joining us for 70 is the new 50. Stay curious and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining us for 70 is the new 50. In coming episodes, you will meet the rock stars in our community who are sharing their expertise to empower us to stay young, healthy, and happy as we age. We'll see you on the next episode of 70 is the new 50. In the meantime, live long, live well, and live with joy. This has been a production from a podcast studio.